All right, well, good morning. It is uh, wonderful to see each and every one of you here today. Uh, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Church of Cane Bay. And before we get too deep into what we're doing, I want to go ahead and dismiss our pirate ship and battleship kids. Perfectly on cue. You guys are on point today. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11. If you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles, or if you've got the Bible app on your phone and want to hit, I think it's events now at the bottom, uh, it'll take you over to our notes for today to get us ready. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 11, continuing uh, the whole story. We all go on journeys in life, and these are the kinds of moments for us that, that stretch us, where we sometimes struggle through different things, and they test us, and they, they teach us um, to trust in God and to trust in His divine hand. And over the last couple of years, um, my wife Emily and I have been walking through a journey. Uh, and it's been a journey to try and adopt uh, two little kids. Uh, one is almost four, one is almost five. It's a brother and sister. And uh, we've been so excited um, for this journey. But it's a journey that should have really ended for us a couple of years ago. We were told one day that tomorrow we were going to have these two kids in our house. And uh, it's been two years now. And and they haven't shown up yet. And uh, when we walk through things like that in life, we struggle. We go through hard times and we question and we wonder, what is God doing? Why is God working things out this way? What's the purpose behind what's going on? And sometimes when we struggle in those moments and we lose a little bit of faith, um, we shift from rejoicing in God's blessings to complaining about where he has us. And we've all probably been there. And I, I don't know for you, what the journey is that you've been on or that God has been taking you on. But the question for us today is, as we walk through the journeys that God is directing our paths on, are we trusting him? Are we remembering his faithfulness? Are we falling back on ourselves and complaining? As we look and find ourselves in Numbers chapter 11, continuing with the whole story, we find out that the people of God are on a journey. And they're on a journey that started back in Exodus chapter 12. And see, God set his people free from Egypt. Uh, he rescued them. He sent plagues upon Egypt. And eventually, Pharaoh decided that uh, he was going to let God's people go. And so he let them go. And they left Egypt. And as they're leaving Egypt, uh, the Egyptians come following them, chasing them, trying to bring them back to slavery because they realized we had this massive nation of people that were doing all of our work for us. We can't live without them. And so they come after them. And there's this huge moment in Scripture of the Red Sea. You guys probably know this story, but God's people are on the brink of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians are coming up behind them, and God does this miraculous thing where he parts the waters of this sea and allows his people to walk through the sea into safety. And so they do that, and they go on this journey through the Red Sea, and as the Egyptians are coming up behind them, and as they start the path into the Red Sea, God brings the sea walls down on them and conquers their enemies. And God is faithful to protect his people and to bring them where they need to be. But this journey that the God's people are on is a long journey. And it's a long journey in Scripture. It covers the rest of the book of Exodus. It covers Leviticus, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. And so God is doing a lot of things as he's taking his people uh, on this journey. But two things that we see throughout the whole story of this. One, that God is constantly faithful to his people. And two... His people are constantly complaining. Now we're at a point in Numbers chapter 11 where it's a short distance for them to get to this land that God has promised them. And they can see 
the end in sight. And so we want to look in Numbers chapter 11 and see exactly uh, where they end up and what they do. So Numbers chapter 11, we're going to start reading in verse 1. Really look to this point here that says, the complaining shows our lack of faith in God. It says this in verse 1. And the people complained in their hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. And so then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. And so the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burns among them. And so we find ourselves in this situation, and, and they can see the promised land in sight. They've started this journey. They're just a few days into it of getting there. But the people of God start complaining, and it's not the first time that this has happened on this. If you look back in Exodus chapter 16, you'll see a moment where, where God's people begin to complain about the fact that they don't have enough food, and they're not happy with what God is providing for them for food. And this is three days after this moment of the Red Sea. And so you can imagine if you were there and you saw God part the waters of the sea and take care of you and show his faithfulness as you walk through the sea to safety, that you might remember the fact that God is faithful. But three days past this, we see God's people begin to complain that they don't have enough food. And so God shows his faithfulness again, and he provides manna. And manna was this bread from heaven that came every night, and it just was scattered across their camp. And they would take it and do all kinds of things with it, um, but it had this sweet taste almost like honey. And so God provided this manna for them every night. And so when we fast forward to Numbers 11, we find ourselves about a year later, and God's people are three days into a new journey to this promised land. But again, we see that they are exhibiting a lack of faith in God and not trusting in him. And so God is frustrated by this. And so what he does is he sends a fire to kind of burn the outlying parts of the camp. Now, the people of Israel at this time are, are numbering somewhere around 600,000 people. So this is a large group of people who are traveling together. But there's this fire that burns kind of on the rim of the camp. And they know that God is doing this. And God is providing for them a warning that they don't need to be people who are complaining. But truthfully, they deserve the wrath of God. But rather than bringing the fire into the middle of the camp, God just burns on the outskirts. And so the people see the fire, and all of a sudden their complaining shifts from complaining to pleading. And so they go to Moses, and they say, Moses, you've got to do something about this. And so Moses prays to God, and God relents, gets rid of the fire. And we find out that the name of this place, of this camp, was called Taberah, which means burning. And so they would always remember the fact that God was frustrated with their complaining. I don't know if you've ever been frustrated before. <laughs> Uh, I found myself a while back on a customer service call uh, with a certain internet service provider that will not be named and uh, was having difficulty like getting through to them. And we had been through a series of time where we had like a week out of a whole month where our internet was down and uh, we get used to the finer things in life, right? And so I call my internet company and I'm like, listen, I need you guys to fix this. Like I'd already called them multiple times and uh, and so they worked on it a little while and got my speed a little better. And you know, at the end of every customer service call, they're like, is there anything else I can do for you today? And I said, certainly. I'd like to get my money back for the week that I didn't have internet. Like, I'm paying for it and I didn't get the service. And uh, they're like, well, we can't really, blah, 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 blah. And so you've been on calls like this. And so I get frustrated. 
and I start complaining to this person on and on and on about why their service is so bad and why I've struggled with it. And I keep going and I keep railing. And I think to myself now, why, why am I complaining so much to this person? It's because I don't have any faith in this company, right? They've let me down over and over and over again. I don't trust them at all. And so my first instinct when I'm speaking to them then is complaining. But what does it say about our lives when we complain about our lives and the direction of our lives and the things of our lives? I think it says that we don't have any faith in God as the one who is directing us and as the one who is guiding us along the way. And we don't think it's a big deal, right? We live in a culture of people who are constantly complaining. You see it everywhere. If you get on social media, if you get on television, wherever you are, people are constantly complaining about everything, so much to the point where we don't even see it as a bad thing anymore. It's just a part of our lives to be people who complain. And we as a culture have an epidemic of complaining. It's everywhere around us. And we don't see it as a big deal when truthfully it spits in the face of God's faithfulness to us over and over and over again. It's so easy for us to get to where we complain about government because we don't have any faith there. We complain about the media because we don't have any faith in the media. But when we who are God's people who say that our life rests on God and we say that he is our Lord, we say that he is in control of all things and that he's the one who is guiding us, then complain about all of those things, it says that we don't trust him at all. It says that we don't believe that God is faithful and believe that he is going to carry us through. So what do we do? How do we become people who don't complain but instead trust God and show that he is faithful? What I love about the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul, is that anytime Paul tells Christians that they need to get something out of their lives, he gives them something to replace that with. And what he does, oftentimes, we'll see this a little later, but when it comes to this issue of complaining, we'll see that there's something that we can take complaining when we get it out of our lives and replace it with something. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in a much better path that's more pleasing to God. And I believe that that thing is rejoicing. That if we are people who rejoice in what God has blessed us with and rejoice in the faithfulness of God, that we will be people who complain much less along the way. So how do we do this? How do we begin to be people who do this? And one, I'm going to kind of flip all of these points on their head. And so when it comes to the idea of how we need to be, how complaining shows our lack of faith in God, I believe we need to flip that and believe that rejoicing shows our total faith in God. And just a couple of ways that we can, I think, begin to practice this in our lives, because this is where it comes down to, to reality. Number one is we need to rejoice constantly. That in all the moments of our lives, we need to be finding things to rejoice in. If you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul's talking about prayer. And he talks about how we need to be people who pray without ceasing. If we know anything about prayer, we know that a huge part of prayer is thanks, thankfulness. It's thanksgiving. It's worship. It's glorifying God for who he is. It is rejoicing. And so if we should be people who are praying without ceasing, then we should be rejoicing without ceasing. We should constantly in our days be people who are rejoicing, who are finding things to rejoice about. Because the more that we rejoice and the more that we intentionally direct our lives to rejoice in the faithfulness of God, the less that we're going to have time to complain and the less that our spirit is going to want to complain. Number two, we need to rejoice everywhere. 
In every moment, wherever we are, find something to rejoice about. And there are a lot of moments in our lives when it's easy to find something to complain about. But what if instead of complaining, we sought out something in that moment that we could rejoice in? So when you're gathered together as a family around the dinner table, maybe your kids are being annoying and you want them to do something different, maybe you take the time to stop and think and believe that God has blessed you with a beautiful family, with a wonderful spouse, and so much that you have to be thankful for. And instead, take the time to rejoice in what God has given you. When you're sitting in your office at work at a job that you don't love and that you struggle through day in and day out, maybe you can stop and think about the fact that you're blessed to have a way to provide for your family, that you're blessed to be sitting somewhere that's air-conditioned, where you don't have to deal with the heat that's outside. There's so many things that we can rejoice in. Or maybe, and this is a big one for me, you're sitting in traffic, and we all hate it, and I get so easily annoyed driving it when people do crazy stuff sometimes. But instead of falling to that point of wanting to complain, maybe you can think about the fact that you're sitting in an automobile that you own that costs more money than most people around the world will have their entire lifetime. God has given us so many blessings, and he is so faithful. We're going to fail. We're going to complain. But if we begin to grow in rejoicing, I believe God's going to do something special in our lives. And if we can begin to be people who are rejoicing in our kitchens and in our cars, imagine what will happen on Sunday morning when we gather together as the people of God and rejoice together. There will be a presence here that is unlike anything that the world has ever seen. And people will come into these doors and experience the Spirit of God because we are people who really believe and who really trust and who really rest our lives on Him. So complaining shows our lack of faith in God. Number two, complaining shows our desire for lesser things. We'll pick up in verse 4. It says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bedellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes out of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. And so everything that had happened back at Taborah, the idea of burning and God sending the fire at the camp, all of that faded at this point in time. And so we see God's people again just a little time after that, falling into this trap of complaining. Now, Scripture tells us in verse 4 that there was a rabble among them. That word for rabble... We're talking about a group of people who are with the people of God. They're with the Israelites, but they weren't Israelites, right? They, they left Egypt with them. They came out of slavery with them, even though they weren't a part of them. And so it kind of makes sense a little bit that these people would be complaining because they haven't experienced the faithfulness of God for generations and generations. They just have this short period of time. But the problem is, is that this complaining began to creep over into the life of Israel, and God's people began to complain. And this is what complaining does. One person starts to complain, somebody else starts to complain, like it's contagious, it's infectious. So it goes on. And so they start talking about, man, when we were back in Egypt, we had meat, we had cucumbers, we had onions, we had garlic, and that was great. Now we've got nothing but this manna. 
And this stuff begins to take place, this place in their heart that only God should have. And they become obsessed with it. It becomes this thing that they desire more than anything else, so much to the point where they don't remember the faithfulness of God. All they they remember is that at one point back in Egypt, they had meat to eat and it was really good. It's like they're talking to God and they're like, God, we appreciate everything that you've done, right? You rescued us from Egypt and, and that was great. That's wonderful. Like you've been faithful. You've given us food every day and that's great. I know that you've got a land promised for us that we're going to where we're going to be happy and it's going to be like this wonderful experience. But cucumbers, like cucumbers are so good and their desires become so petty in light of everything that God has done for them. And God is doing huge things for them and through them. And all that they can remember is the onions and the garlic and the meat that they had in Egypt. And let's be honest, they were slaves when they were in Egypt. Truthfully, they probably rarely ever got to eat like that. It was probably once in a blue moon where they actually got meat and where they got to have those things. But they're remembering a place where they were in slavery, where they were forced to do manual labor over and over and over again. And all of that is glossed over by the fact that one time they had hamburgers sitting around a fire. Like, all that they remember is the good stuff. And I think that this is something that we do constantly. We have this thing in our lives where we forget about everything that was bad of our past and we'll remember something that's good and we gloss over all the bad stuff and desire what we had when God has us pointing in a totally different direction, wanting us to move a different way. When I was in high school, I went on a trip with the high school band because I was cool like that to Disney World. And uh, I've never been a, like a real thrill seeker in my life, which is why I was in high school band. And uh, so we're there, and there's all these rides. And I know most of you are like Disney World rides, really. But like they were like rides I didn't want to go on. And one of them was the Tower of Terror. I'm sure many of you have been on it. Um, so I'm on this trip, and it's like every day they're like, today we're going to the Tower of Terror. And I'm like, nope. Today we're going, nope. And so finally on the last day, they convinced me to go on the Tower of Terror. And so there's this moment where we're in line, and you get inside this ride. Like you're not outside anymore, but you get inside, and like the, you, they, you go in this elevator, and there's all this stuff going. And like all of a sudden, I step into this thing, and like my heart just sunk. Like fear is hitting me unlike anything I had ever experienced before. It's like one of the worst feelings I've ever had. And more than anything, I want to be like, where's the door? Like, how do I get out of here? I can't do this. But I knew that all of my friends would never let me live that down. And so I went through with it. So you get in, you get in this room, and you're sitting in chairs, and they take you on this journey, and you travel up. But you get to this point where, like, everything pretty much goes black, and you know that you're about to drop, like this huge drop. But they, like, really stretch it out a lot to make you feel this. And so for me, it's working big time. And I'm like, this is the worst experience of my life. And so finally the ride happens and it's like so fast that you hardly don't even know what's happening and it's over. And at the end of it, I felt really good about myself and I'm coming out of the other side and I'm like, man, the Tower of Terror was awesome. And they're like, let's do it again. And I'm like, no thanks. (laughs) But I'm like, I conquered it. So I could walk away from Disney saying that I did the Tower of Terror. So three years ago, I go back to Disney World, and standing in line for the Tower of Terror, I walk to that inside point, and guess what? All of a sudden, my heart sinks. That feeling hit me again, and for years I had said, I conquered it, I did it, there's nothing I can't do. And I get in this moment, and I'd totally forgotten about all of the fear and all of the anxiety and everything that was bad about that experience for me. 
because I'd glossed over it and I'd romanticized it in my life. And I think like Israel, we do this all the time. That we have this feeling that the grass was greener back where we were. Not even necessarily on the other side, but back where we were. But guys, there's a reason that we're, we're like desiring the past. There's a reason that God has our past in our past. And there's a reason that God is directing us to the future. And that God wants his people to experience freedom and they're looking back to slavery. God has us looking forward to the future, to where he wants to take us and what he wants to do with us. And we're looking back to our sin and the slavery that we were caught up with and the things that we had back then. We have the wrong priorities in life. Our desire is for these lesser things. And any time that we let minor things in our life become major things, we're going to be let down. Any time that we take what are even good things and allow them to become God things in our life, they're going to cripple and they're going to break under the pressure of that because they can't maintain it. Only God is designed to be a God thing in our hearts. And anything else that we try and squeeze into there or make, take that position in our lives and let them be the main thing, it's not designed to do that. And so it's not the fault of that thing, whatever it is. It could be a good thing. The problem is the expectations that we put on that thing, trying to make it something like God. And we do this so often in our lives. That, and, and when those things fall apart and they're crippled, of course, what we do is we complain about it. We complain that they weren't able to live up to our expectations, but those things were never designed to be able to do that to begin with. Some of us do this with our spouses. We try and take our spouse who is a fallen human being who is experiencing sin, and yes, they're great people, and they may be seeking the Lord, but we try and put them in the position of God in our lives. But that person wasn't designed to be God. And if you expect them to be number one to you and you put all of your hopes and all of your dreams and all of your desires on that one person, one day they're going to let you down. And you're going to complain about it. Parents, some of us do this with our kids. Our kids are everything to us. And I know, and you know just as well as I do, your kids are going to let you down every single day. And if you place all of your hopes and all of your desires on your children... You're going to be living this constant cycle of happy one moment and then just totally crashed the next. And you're going to be complaining about these things. Maybe you do this with church or even us as your pastors. We are just people. God is God. And we have to let God be God and everything else be what it was designed to be in life. And so where complaining shows us that our desire is for lesser things, we can flip this and let rejoicing Show our desire for God above everything else. The thing that you rest your hope on is often the thing that you're complaining about. And so if you find yourself constantly complaining and going over and over and over about something and about how this one thing in your life is letting you down, that's a really good tell that that thing's in the wrong place in your heart. That it's taken the God space in your heart and it doesn't need to be there. And so if it's your spouse that's there, or your kids that are there, your job that's there, whatever it is, we've got to be willing to let our jobs be jobs and our spouses be spouses and let God be God, because only he can do that. But what if instead the thing that we talked about over and over and over again was we were rejoicing in the blessings of God by giving us a great spouse, by giving us kids, by blessing us in all these different ways 
When we rejoice, people will see that our faith is in God and that our desire is for him above all else. So complaining shows our lack of faith in God. Number two, complaining shows our desire for lesser things. Lastly, number three, complaining shows that we value ourselves over others. Let's pick up in verse 10. It says, And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. Moses was displeased. And so Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servants? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat, that I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Notice what he says. God, if you will treat me like this, kill me at once. And if I find favor in your sight, then I may not see my wretchedness. So Moses is standing at the door of his tent. And it's happened that one group began to complain and somebody else begins to complain. And now the whole camp of Israel is buzzed with just complaining and he hears it. It's all around him and God is angry about this and Moses becomes unhappy. And so what we end up with is we end up with a guy who is at the top who comes to God complaining about the complainers. And he comes to God and he says, God, I didn't birth these people. I'm not their mother. Like, I can't provide meat for all these people. Like, I would rather be dead than be in the position that I'm in right now. And the reason that Moses is complaining like this is because he's put himself in the wrong seat. Because only God is the one who birthed those people. Because only God is the one who can provide faithfully for them, who can feed them, and who can deliver them to this promised land. And by Moses raising himself to a position that he can't hold, it's caused him to lose the love that God has for his people. And he can't, he can't remember that. He doesn't remember any of that because his focus is now on himself and not on the people of God. And any time that we put ourselves in that seat that only God needs to be in, we're going to complain because even we can't keep up uh, the position. We're going to cripple and we're going to break under the, under the pressure of that. One of the main places that we see this kind of thing happening, I mentioned this earlier, is social media. Social media is this over and over uh, thing of people basically proving that they value themselves over others. And, And believe me, I'm guilty of this. That's in my heart, and sometimes I let it come out, and it comes out on social media, and comes out in different ways. But one of the ways we do this is through complaining. We get on social media, and we're complaining about our life. We desire sympathy from people. We want people's attention to be on on us, because it feels good, right? It, It feeds the monster inside of us that wants us to be number one. And so when people provide us with attention, We feel good, and so a lot of us get online and complain just so that people who have really good intentions will come around us and support us and encourage us, but all that it's doing is feeding the desire of pride that is in our heart and putting us in a position that we don't need to be in. And we even joke about it on social media. How many of you guys have ever seen the hashtag first world problems? Like it's a way for us to joke about complaining but still complain. And it's kind of a silly thing that we've tried to create these masks around ourselves to make us look like we're people who aren't doing this. The second way that we do this is by bragging on social media. 
we tend to put our best moments, we take pictures of them, we let people, again, I'm guilty of this, but we do this. We show the best moments of our lives for people to see on the internet. And when it comes to the real stuff or the hard stuff, we avoid putting that there unless we're complaining. And we miss out on the opportunity to flip it. We miss out on the opportunity to rejoice in the hard stuff, to rejoice in the difficulty, to let people know that our hope is in God and not in us and not in lesser things, but that we trust in him and we have faith in him. But when we complain and when we brag, we miss the opportunity to rejoice. So it's another thing that we need to flip. Where complaining shows that we value ourselves over others, rejoicing shows that we value others as ourselves couple of questions to think about in doing this. Number one, who? Who can we rejoice in? Who's a blessing in your life? Who is someone that God has brought in your life that you can show value in because of who they are and because of what they've done? Maybe it's even someone that you have a strained relationship with. And it's a moment where God is saying, you need to find something in this relationship to rejoice in. And I know that it's really, really, really easy to find something in this relationship to complain about. But instead of that, let's find something to rejoice in. And then number two questions, why? Why are you thankful for that person? I want to challenge you this morning, every single one of you, to think of one person who's been a blessing to you from the Lord to find that person today in some way and let them know about it. It could be that you use social media for good and you use it to rejoice in someone else and in a blessing of God. It could be that you write them a note. It could be that they're here this morning and you just say, hey, I want to take you out to lunch. I want to take the opportunity to have a conversation with you and let you know how much of a blessing from God you are. We can begin to value others by rejoicing that God has blessed us with them. So the story continues. I'm going to summarize it for us a little bit because it's kind of long, but what happens is, is that even as Moses comes to God to complain, God is merciful And so he puts forward this plan, and he tells Moses to do two things. The first one is that he needs to gather 70 elders of Israel. And God says, you can't handle this alone, so what we're going to do is we're going to come up with 70 other guys, and I'm going to take some of my spirit off of you and rest it on them. That way they can help bear the burden of the people, and they can help you do this. The second thing that he tells them to do is that he tells them, he tells him to go and tell the people that he's going to provide meat for them. And not just to the point of their need, but he's going to give them meat, more meat than they could ever possibly need, never possibly imagine. And so again, God is proving himself to be faithful in this. Moses questions this, and he's like, God, how are you going to provide meat for 600,000 people? And God is surprised by this, but tells them to trust him. So at the end of Numbers 11, in verse 31, it says this. It says, Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, And it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp. And about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. And those who gathered least gathered ten homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. I want you to get a clear picture of this. Because God wasn't playing around when he told the people of Israel he was going to give them more than they could possibly ever need. All right, so scripture tells us that this is two cubits deep. Two cubits is about three feet deep, okay? And so God is providing quail on the people of Israel's land that is like piling up three feet deep, more than they could ever possibly imagine. 
And it also says that it was about a day's journey on this side of their camp and a day's journey on that side of their camp. We can probably get, I don't know, 15 to 20 miles down in a journey in a day. And so if you can imagine this massive circle around the people of Israel that is filled three feet deep with quail that God is providing for his people. Like, he can't be more faithful than this to his people. But we find a struggle, and the people go out, and they begin to collect, and we see their greed. We see that they become greedy. Scripture tells us that the one who gathered the least amount of quail gathered 60 bushels of quail. And so they bring this back to their camp, and God sees my people are gathering more than they could possibly eat. It's going to go bad. There's no way that they could even consume this in a month, over the course of a month. And it's proof to God that his people care more more about quail than they do about him. And so verse 33 tells us the response of God, and it's tough. And says, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kilbroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. And from Kibroth Hatzavah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. The place was literally named Graves of Craving, Graves of Greed. The people of God had so lost themselves in their desire for something else and not God, that this is where we find ourselves. And that's a hard truth. And we see moments like this in Scripture, and we're like, what's God doing? What is, what's going on here? We talked about this a little bit with Noah, but I want to give you a couple of things really quick to help you see why God has done what he's done here. Number one, the people of God have broken his commandments. And two weeks ago, we talked about the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people. In Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, Exodus 24 Hear this, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, hear this, am a jealous God. He wants their attention on him and not something else. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God's people were warned. They were told ahead of time that God is jealous. And they were told ahead of time that if they gave in to having things above God, that God would visit their iniquity on them, their sin on them. They are bearing the consequences of their own actions. Tenth commandment, Exodus twenty seventeen: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And what have God's people done? We want what the Egyptians have. We want what they have more than what you've blessed us with. Another thing, we broke his commandments, but also, truthfully from Scripture, we deserve death. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Death is what we earn from sin. And when we sin, we sin knowing that the result of that is going to be death. And it certainly was for the people of God here. It's not an easy truth, but it's a truth that we have to come to grips with. Because if we are people who believe 
that God has offered us something better in the fullness of life and that we can move in that direction, then we're not going to be people who complain. We're not going to be people who give in to our sin. But the truth is, is we complain all the time because we don't have the kind of faith in God that we need to. And we're going to complain today. Likely all of us, before the day is over and before our head hits the pillow, we're going to complain about something. But I want to tell you the great hope of Scripture, that free gift, is that Jesus even died for your complaining. No matter where you are and no matter what journey you've walked on and no matter how difficult things have been, Jesus died for you. And God is offering you a free gift of eternal life through Jesus, wiping away your sin and wiping away your complaining and giving you the opportunity to trade it for something that's so much better, a great future and a great promise and a great hope that you can rejoice in through him. It's not just behavior modification and not complaining and beginning to rejoice, but this is heart change that God loves us so much that he wants to make that difference in our lives. In just a few minutes, the band's going to go ahead and come back, come back up here. I'll be standing in the back as we sing. And if you know, I haven't experienced that heart change. I don't know what it's like to give my past and my sin over to Jesus, but I'd like to. I'd like to invite you to come back. I'd love to have a conversation with you. love to pray with you so that you can take some of those steps. Before we finish, I want to read just one more passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 2. Earlier, I talked about Paul, Paul trading one thing for another, and he says this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You may be be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Notice that transition from the top. Do all things without grumbling, disputing, complaining. But likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And Paul's giving us a promise. He's telling us, Listen, you can be blameless and innocent if you accept the grace of Jesus. You can be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And we live in a crooked and twisted generation of people who are constantly complaining about life and they're complaining about the circumstances of their own sin and what they've gotten themselves into themselves because of their own actions and because they are sinners. And God is offering us an opportunity to be a people who are different to be a people who stand out. And if we are people who don't join in with the complaining of the world, but if we are people who rejoice in the goodness of our God, we will. And people will see us and know that there's something different about us if we are people who rejoice. Bottom line is that God desires a rejoicing over our complaining. One of my favorite places to go is the mountains. And something about when I'm standing on top of a mountain and I'm able to look over and see the beauty of God's creation, it's one of the easiest moments for me to rejoice. One of the easiest moments for me to know about the blessing of God, to know about how great God is and how wide his glory expands throughout the world. And when I see that, I I can know it and, and trust it and believe it. But hear me this morning. God deserves just as much glory, just as much 
rejoicing in the valley as he does on the mountain. And we may be walking through difficult life situations and hard stuff, and our journeys may be hard, but just like God is doing with the people of Israel, he's guiding them towards something that's better. And we have to trust and know and believe that even in the valley and even in the journey and even in the hard time, God is working through all of it. And if we trust him, if we believe in him, and if we have faith that he's doing something good, he's offering us the opportunity to trade our complaining for rejoicing, celebrating the fact that he is good, he knows what's best, and he's constantly working in our lives to see that we are made more like Jesus and are able to express the image of Christ in all we do. Let's pray.